Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back to From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and I'm sitting here with Duke Roomley, who is the founder of Sober AF Entertainment. Duke, I'm so happy to have you on the show. We were just chatting. We lost a little bit of touch um, during the pandemic, so I'm excited to kind of get to catch up with you, see what's going on with you and Sober AF, and just share the story because your organization, and I'll let you you know, explain the, the kind of thrust of it, is incredible. It's something that I wish I had when I was going through early sobriety, something I wish I had I'd now in some cases. I think connecting sober people is so critical because it is the community that really heals people. So, Duke, welcome to the show. What's up, my brother? Ah, Mark, <laughs> it is so good to see you. I've missed you. Um, Mark was a huge supporter of us right out of the gate in our early stages, and I just so appreciated you uh, believing in kind of this mission and, and getting it, just understanding how – like this is a missing part that's out there. And, you know, how do we help kids find a sober wingman or sober wing woman and go out and get after life and go to the music festivals and stuff. So um, Mark is all about that sober fun. So um, I'm super excited to, to be on your podcast, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, it's so cool. It's back when, our, when the meetings were at the uh, cigar <laughs> cigar lounge. Right. Um, that was the, the sober AF headquarters for a while. There. Yes. So some things haven't changed, but um, yeah, we haven't had any board meetings there because of because uh, we're all on Zoom now. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so let's dig right in, right? In the first segment, we like to talk about you know the personal story. So can you share a little bit about your recovery journey and then what eventually inspired you to start Sober sure. AF? So I am a guy who, at a really young age, probably around sixteen or seventeen years old, had a really intense experience with alcohol. And what happened was my brain got rewired from this really tense experience. And it was really kind of the, my driver it was all I really kind of wanted to do or think about. And everything would be better if we were drinking while we did this. And then um, kind of fast forward, my life started getting more and more out of control. I got a DUI at 18. Um, I was uh, at the University of Arizona and got arrested in Nogales, Mexico mom had to fly down and bail me out at 20, you know, basically, uh, a week later, I'm coming out of a blackout and I'm smoking weed on an airplane thinking I'm on a Greyhound bus. And so there was definitely this, uh, wait, wait, you, you, just, you just lit up on an airplane. So it's, it's, it's so much better than that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I came out of a blackout. I don't know if this ever happens to anyone, yeah. but suddenly you're all the adrenaline kicks in and you're like not quite sober, but like you're sober enough to realize what is going on. And I'm in this small bathroom thinking it's a Greyhound bus. And I've got this big Bob Marley joint fired up and smoke alarms are going off. And I'm looking around like, where am I? What's going on? 
And I remember poking my head out the door thinking, did anyone on this Greyhound bus hear this sound? And it turned out it was a 737 airplane. And there was, everyone on the plane was staring at me. Everyone wanted to know why alarms are going off on this airplane. And why does it suddenly smell of smoke? Um, and I was more shocked than anyone on that airplane. Like, what is going on? How does this happen? Um, so that was kind of an example of kind of the insanity going on in my life. Where right? I just got, I got to ask so many questions. Like, where was the plane sure. going? So, so like, while blackout, you like bought a ticket, went through security, boarded the plane. Like, so the story is a week after mom bails me out of jail in Mexico. So I'm in Mexico. Mom's flies down eight days later. I finally get released. And this was for a misunderstanding about some counterfeit money. And she says, straighten up, fly straight. I agree. A week later, there's a party in San Diego and I'm going to school at the University of Tucson. So I can't go. I got a week of school to catch up on. I just missed, you know, six school days in a row. Plus, uh, I so much to catch up on. But then when I saw the keg get rolled onto this RV, this magical thing happened in my brain, which is alcoholism, which is your mind changes its own mind. Mm -hmm. So I went from like, I can't go to I have to go. This isn't a once in a lifetime experience. Go to San Diego, start drinking. When I have one drink, I get usually thirstier. And usually when a lot of people have two or three drinks, they catch that buzz. They know it's time to stop. That's normal drinking. I catch those two or three drinks, catch that buzz. And I have this urge to take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. So I want to go from first gear to second gear. And so this is what happened in San Diego. And basically we missed the RB going home Sunday morning. So I'm stuck in San Diego with a different fraternity brother. And long story short, um, we decide we're going to take a Greyhound bus home Monday morning. And we go out drinking that night and something changed in the middle of the night. For some reason, we could get, you know, a Southwest cheap flight. Um, all I know is the plans change mid blackout. And somehow my brain didn't quite comprehend the fact that we were on an airplane versus a Greyhound bus. And I was snapped to, and, you know, this is a week after my parents had to bail me out of jail one time. I'm sure they weren't coming to San Diego. So, so uh, you know, I kind of stumbled out, and the flight attendant had one of the pilots come down and talk to me. So I had a pilot talking to me, and I couldn't understand what he was saying. It was that fluent drunkenese, mm -hmm. and yeah. uh, it was the parents from Snoopy's, and you're so drunk, someone sounds like this. Wah, 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 wah. Wah, wah, which isn't good if it's the authority, right? So uh, I just kept saying it won't happen again. Um, so that's how I drank. I planned on not drinking. My mind changed its own mind. Mm -hmm. I took a drink and bad things typically happened in a blackout. And um, my life was getting progressively worse as I was flunking out of college. Yeah. So like really intense experience early on in your life. What, what so did yeah, you so get into recovery, or yeah, go ahead, go ahead with the story. But to, to your point, just you know, uh, I started getting dragged to a couple AA meetings a year at age seventeen. So um, I'm very lucky to have parents who are very uh, proactive in my sobriety and in my world, mm -hmm. and realizing there was a problem. 
Um, and I would promise the world. And then I would just try to figure out how do I drink so the bad stuff doesn't happen. And that's what I was looking for. And I could never find that. So um, I uh, ended up uh, being taken to treatment uh, May of 89. Um, and there was a sober support group inside the Grateful Dead that I had seen over the previous four years. So mm -hmm. I'd seen about 15 Grateful Dead shows up to that point. Mm -hmm. And um, I think there was a little seed planted in the back of my mind that you can get sober and still see the dead, mm -hmm. which was just enough to make the idea of getting sober tolerable. So, you know, I was not looking for any long-term sobriety. It was not going to be a solution. I wanted the DUIs to stop. That was my number one goal, right? Like, and how do I stop being the knucklehead of the family, right? I was the black sheep of my family. I'm the oldest of five kids. And um, once I kind of got a little um, recognition or appreciation for early sobriety, I think that was kind of important. Um, but, you know, for probably a year, every liquor store I drove by, my head would turn. And every bar I'd go by, my head would turn just like it was, you know, geo mapping this area just in case I decide I'm going to drink or do drugs again. Where am I going to get the drugs and where am I going to meet the ladies? And uh, my brain was still um, still thinking that was a possible solution. Yeah. So what kept you strong during that? Like, how did you maintain? You know, uh, a part of it was I was still going to Grateful Dead shows with high school buddies. And if I could, you know, it was important that I wasn't like shunned from a community. I wasn't stuck home. Um, I mean, the reality is 12 step meetings, uh, loving and supportive parents. Um, I moved at like three or four months sober to go to a new college in Louisville, Kentucky. So I had a new environment. Um, there was a girl who was sober at my college who was taking me to meetings, kind of introducing me around. Um, I think there was a lot of change on the, on the front side of this mm -hmm. that, that helped. Um, there was a thing called young people in AA and they were doing like dances, trying to raise money for some conference. And, um, it was definitely, I think, you know, important to make some friends early on in my early sobriety um, that made, you know, this idea of, you know, what are you going to do on a Friday and Saturday night? Um, and, uh, you know, there was still a part of me that was this rebel that I still, you know, would try to see as many Grateful Dead shows as possible. So, um you know, I would be able to smoke Marlboro Reds and drink Mountain Dews with buddies um, and go see three dead shows in a row someplace and then come back and be a student kid for 28 days out of the month and go to 12-step meetings. But I needed that release, you know, that pressure out of the balloon to still kind of be a little defiant. Um, and that was, I think, kind of my... Um, I'm happy to be the good guy as long as I get to be the bad guy every once in a while. And, um, and bad guy is probably the wrong term, but just, you know, I wanted to see humanity. Um, I wanted to see, you know, 60,000 people having a good time shaking their butts together. Um, and the fact that I didn't have to give that up, I think was really important to my early sobriety. Yeah. 
I mean, we have similar stories is that I didn't want to go with the music festival scene. I didn't want to go with the rave scene. I, it was very critical for me because what I was sold, and it sounds like you were sold something similar in the beginning is that sobriety is boring, right? You just like right. sit at home and cry about your past, which right. was something I did not want to sign up for, right? I was having a lot of fun when the drugs and alcohol were working. They were working well, you know, I was having a ton of fun. And right. it sounds like you were in a similar boat. Yeah. Have you heard of cocaine? Yeah. So it's really, really fun until you wake up and you have ATM receipts in your pocket. And you don't remember what happened, but you got a giant booger in your nose and mm -hmm. you're like, oh no, how, what happened? So um, I am with you, like early sobriety, if it wasn't fun, um, I mean, I was 51% sober anyways. I was kind of barely hanging on anyway. So I needed kind of that hope that this really could be um, a fun way not to blow up my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm curious what the next steps are, right? Because when I first met you, you weren't doing so very if you were like a business development person for a local rehab out here. Um, right. Was that always, did you go straight to the recovery industry or did you have a, a, was that a career change? Did you have a job before that? So I got sober in 89, was still in college, graduated in 91 and uh started working on wall street so oh um, i didn't know i that. had a yeah. um, 10 plus year career being a nasdaq market maker so i set the price for nasdaq stocks for about 10 years from 91 through 01 and then 01 through 08 i was a financial advisor for uh smith barney um so had about a 20 year kind of wall street career raising kids um you know, still going to concerts, um, but really, um, you know, it was kind of the normal guy who um, recovery was a small part of my life, you know, and there was meetings, there was buddies in meetings, but there was family, there was work um, and still having fun going to some concerts, um, still active in the 12 steps, probably going to like three meetings a week um, or two or three meetings a week, but um, you know, I think kind of that your, your midlife, if you're in recovery, um, you put money in the bank by going to some meetings and then you got to spend it when you got kids and you're not able to go as many meetings typically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did that work? Because my assumption about the Wall Street culture is that that's a pretty alcohol heavy culture as well, especially in yeah, like NASDAQ 90s, was, right? was, yeah. yeah. Uh, NASDAQ was kind of the wild, wild west. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it definitely was a, a little different where um, you had every personality mix in the, in the world um, and maybe kind of having like this little edge to me that I was, you know, still going to Grateful Dead concerts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think I was able to kind of uh, put things in different departments. So there was the work um, community, um, you know, I think. Uh, that the first 10 years of my sobriety, you know, was not really kid. So it was um, kind of trading NASDAQ stocks, making a lot of money and um, but still staying humble through 12 step meetings and help start like the Hollywood young people's meeting in Fort Lauderdale, actually Hollywood, Florida. Hmm. Um, and there's just kind of this bizarre, you know, you'd, trade NASDAQ stocks during the day wearing a coat and tie or at least a shirt and tie and then 
kind of take that off and then go to a meeting in a t-shirt and then go play hoops afterwards with your buddies, you know, was kind of this, um, did I have to, well, I guess I didn't quite fall into the allure of kind of that South beach mentality that you can see in wall street. Uh, or at least when I was trading NASDAQ stocks, there were, we were, um, in South Florida. So, um, and just, uh, I was, I, I was able to find contentment and happiness in my community in the 12 steps. That's great. Yeah. So 12 steps was, sounds like really an anchor that kept you through all of that. And there's something there too, yeah. about like the, I don't know how to say it in a positive way. It's like leading a double life, but leading a double life for good. Right. Like not yes. like still having the grateful dead life, still having, you know, the, the recovery room life, but like you say, putting on that suit and tie and just being kind of like the corporate, <laughs> the corporate right. finance guy during the day. Like, oops, sorry. No, now it's time to take this off. And, um, you know, really, I mean, there's definitely some true humility with it. And it's also yeah. like, you know, um, not buying the BS that money and uh, kind of drugs will, is the end all be all, man. It turned on me. Um, so I'm happy to say I'm, you know, was able to get the goodness and then leave it at, at five o'clock in the afternoon. That's great. So we're going to move to our first commercial break. When we come back, I want to hear more about, you know, getting into recovery industry, about founding Sober AF, some of the, you know, vision and, and mission behind it, right? What you're, what you're out there doing and, and kind of catch up on where, where it's been in the past couple of years. So uh, if you're listening, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, we'll catch you on the other side of the commercial break with more details and more Duke's story. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough being publicly embarrassed or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit Mark dash azulay dot teachable dot com that's mark m a r c dash azulay a z o u l a y dot teachable dot com where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance the voice america empowerment channel will do just that whether it's personal growth building a better business or inspirational life stories make it a daily habit to tune into our programs from weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness you'll find it every day at voiceamericaempowerment.com the voice america empowerment channel it's your world motivate change succeed 
Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. Find new meanings of love, authentic expressions, and better connections with the people in your life. Tune in to Love Light with Dr. Jean Marie Farish. This program will feature guests and discuss ideas that will bring a better life to you. When you find this perspective on love, it will change everything. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back. I'm sitting here with Duke Roomley, the founder of Sober AF Entertainment. And Duke, let's just pick up the story where we left off, right? So you were working as like a, you know, trader, financial uh, market maker, all this stuff down in Florida. What happened next? Did you move to the recovery industry then or was it, was there a bridge point? Um, I was uh, a financial advisor during the crash of 2018, uh, 2008 oh, shit. and 2009. Um and I just remember I was put on probation twice for having too much money in cash of clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, the market was down 40% and, you know, I kept getting in trouble for not, you know, shorting the market or not, you know, having this money in play. So I just realized that I was no longer um, feel safe being on the kind of the same page with my clients and my, uh, my employer. Mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, with, I kind of knew with, time for a little bit of a change and at the time i was looking at either um and being a interventionist or um working in hospice you know kind of that transition into from life to death and i just been reading a lot of books about uh what people feel when they Mm -hmm. maybe cross over and then come back um and a local treatment center was hiring interventionists at the time and i went in there and applied and uh worked for a a nonprofit called Harmony Foundation as a interventionist slash marketer for a couple of years. And then after two years, they said, hey, we're going to ask you to just do the marketing full time, not the intervention thing anymore. Um, so then I was um, uh, doing the marketing for this drug and alcohol treatment center for a total of six years. And I think that's when you and I met, um, yep. you know, I uh, um, went to work for um, a couple other um for-profit treatment centers in the Denver area. And then uh, my kids started having some real issues. Um, my son at 16, his best friend OD'd on a weed brownie and ended up in a um, ambulance and hospital. And at the same time, my daughter was 20 um, and she was at uh, Red Rocks texting me. She needed to take an Uber home. And she wouldn't tell me why, but all of her friends run ecstasy is really the bottom line. Just kind of had this thought like, hey, what are you going to do? Your kid's dead in six months. And 
There was also a part of me who at the time, I think was 29 years sober, knew like treatment is awesome for 30 or 45 days, but your like recovery battery goes down and, you know, right around that six month mark is really dangerous and nine months. It just kind of takes a year of consistently, um, I think, staying sober for your brain to kind of bounce back and not um, have uh, this. Uh, you kind of get the ability for a short period of time to say, no, that's a bad idea. If that brain does change its mind and says it's a good idea to drink. So um kind of had this thought in the back of my mind, like, hey, we should have some type of kind of sober fun, much like what the Warfrats did at the Grateful Dead. Um, so we did Bass Nectar was our very first show, June 1st, 2018. I think we did Big Head Todd and the Monsters at Red Rocks. And then we did a Rockies game. And we sold about 120 tickets in like eight days for a sober section for the Rockies. And that's when I realized, hey, you know what? There's an actual want for this crazy idea. Um, and, you know, we started doing different music festivals and different concerts and trying to figure out what the want and the need looks like. Um, and, uh, you know, we've done uh, over the last four years, 115 events. Um, we've had over 6,000 people come to our events. Um, we went virtual during COVID and hosted some music festivals and we had a total of 43,000 people watch virtually our music festivals. Mm -hmm. Um, so at the beginning of COVID people wanted to watch music on their phone. So, um, we were really early adapters to that. So that was really, um, interesting and fun and we had no idea what we were doing and, uh, but we pulled it off. Um, but now you know, um, we're back to being in person and are you sitting down, Mark? Are you ready for this craziness? I'm ready. What you got? So tomorrow the Colorado Rockies gave us 2000 tickets for a sober section. So tomorrow night Whoa. we're hosting a sober support tailgate and we'll have a giant party. And then we're going to have 2000 people be sober at a baseball game. That's really cool. Is that that's insane? Really 2000. Cool. Yeah, that's really so, cool. Yes. Yeah. That'll be our largest event by 2X. So mm -hmm. super, super excited about tomorrow night being kind of this big coming out party for us. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, we know it's needed. Uh, more importantly, what does it look like, right? How do we um, show people how to have fun sober, right? You don't have to have a sobriety pledge. You don't have to have some long-term sober commitment. Um, if you're just, you know, curious what it's like to take a night off, um, if you you know, feel nauseous if you drink too much and you don't want a healthier lifestyle and you want to join us, we have plenty of space. It's a big tent. Um, so we're really excited about this tailgate we're doing tomorrow. Uh, we'll have the owner of the Rockies speak at it. We're going to have Senator Kevin Priola speak at it. We're going to have these things called recovery peer specialists speak at it. Uh, so try to make it a little educational and um and then have two thousand people sitting together in like five sections all wearing yellow hats so uh um, really pumped about what tomorrow's going to look like and um it'll be our uh, 116th event in in the last four years that's pretty impressive i mean 116 events during COVID, 
right? Like yeah, during the nuts. area of COVID is like pretty incredible actually to be able to do that many. And it's yeah, congratulations. Like that's a really big thing. It sounds like it'll really draw a lot of attention too, right? Just have everybody right. be together. Um, yeah. So yeah, we're super excited um, to your point. Um, the Rockies are going to make a video of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, uh, you know, blown away that this many people are really looking to have some sober fun and feel comfortable at a Rockies game. You know, it's called Coors Field, so there's going to be some beer around us. Um, but we also get it. Like, you know, we're not anti-alcohol. We are pro-sober fun. So um, if you want to kind of test that out and kind of see what it feels like, uh, we got a group of people doing it. Um, and we'll walk you through it. And it is a little awkward the first couple of times you do it. Um, so we definitely understand that. So we try to make it really fun, um, especially if you're kind of new to the to the group. How do we make this kind of a sacred space for you to make a buddy? So um, we really recommend people kind of talk to everyone around them and try to make a new friend and find out what they're into. And if you got a sober buddy who wants to go to an avalanche game or sober buddy who wants to go to a music festival, um, so we're pumped about that. Actually, tonight we're doing uh, a sober section and a sober tailgate for Dead and Company up in Boulder. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dead and Company gave 40 tickets to the Collegiate Recovery Group up in Boulder, and they asked us to throw the sober tailgate. Um, next Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we're back at Country Jam, which is a three-day music festival um, that we're really excited about. Um, so we'll be doing sober camping for the first time there. So if you go to country jams website, it says, you know, click here for sober camping. Like how cool is that? That's cool. I mean, that makes it legit, right? I mean, that's like some really great integration. You're just like everywhere. I mean, how many, like, do you just travel all the time? What's your, what's your life look like right now? Like, are you, are you at uh, every event or are you just orchestrating at this point? So of the 115 events that we've had, I've missed two. Okay. Nice. So I really uh, enjoy um, getting after it. And um, I'm kind of an empty nester and really trying to, um, you know, make sure it it comes off well. Um, We have two other employees, um, but really, yeah, we definitely need uh, more volunteers uh, and, um, I mean, there is a great need for this, but we need help with like social media. Um, there is a, a, a DJ who passed away, um, Brian Rescue Hen, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And we're uh, hosting his memorial page on our website. Um, so we're doing some really cool uh, web development as far as a memorial for, for Brian. Um, and uh We'll be um, playing his music at the music uh, or at our tailgate tomorrow. Um, but you can check him out on SoundCloud. Um, so I would say, you know, as the executive director of this, we're missing kind of the corporate sponsorship. We're missing the celebrity sponsorship. We we think we're, we're close. We uh, just got Coca-Cola to donate 2,000 drinks for our event tomorrow night. Um uh, we've we've had different uh, people, celebrities uh, join us. We had a woman in long-term recovery sing the national anthem for the Rockies, mm-hmm. who is a uh, Grammy-nominated singer um, named Hillary Roberts. Um, 
but I'm just thinking of all the entrepreneurs who are on this uh, podcast, you know, um, it is a newer nonprofit. It is a brand new service. Um, I always thought somebody's doing this someplace else already. Um, you know, certain music festivals will have a recovery tent. Certain live bands have a recovery tent. Um, certain universities might have a sober tailgate, um, but there's nobody doing all of that combined. And our nonprofit is the kind of world's leader in recovery support at sports and music events. And really, ideally, what we're trying to do is teach people how to host their own. So we want to do 40 events a year and have the community do 400 events a year. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned is we give people the permission to host a recovery support event. Yeah. Um, so that was uh, missing. Um, just giving people permission. We hosted a recovery ski-a-thon about 10 years ago, and then that turned into a thing. And then we turned it over to the Collegiate Recovery Association. So um, sometimes that's all it is. We'll get a phone call from, uh, we got a phone call from Holy Cross and Harvard for the football game last fall. And we sent them t-shirts and talked to them how to do it. And they had an alumni walk by, saw what was going on, learned more, and then just wrote a check so they could do a sober tailgate for every home game. Mm. So that's kind of the goal is really how do we outreach this so other people host their own and then we're kind of the landing page that they can find out about it. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. So I want to bring you back to talking about recovery for a moment because sure. you, you talked about the early recovery stage and I think it's so critical, right? The shift of moving from just getting sober to making a life that you love. Right. And having a life that is fun, that is engaging, that has meaningful relationships. Can you say more about what that was like for you? Sure. Yeah. Um, and to your point, I mean, recovery really for me is pretty binary, meaning I either don't drink. And if I drink, it hits the newspapers. I mean, it is just like you go I, hard. I can't drink a little. I just yeah. burn the, the, the whole house down. Yeah. So it's really important to kind of stay um, kind of stay sober on that point. So um, I think just was really fortunate to make a couple friends in early recovery who are really fun. Um, and how do you kind of integrate this new learning how to live without alcohol, which was such a huge buffer that made everything less um, awkward. And, you know, how do you kind of learn those life skills, especially mm -hmm. at 21? Like, how do you walk into a room and not know anybody and not completely freeze up? And, and leave. Um, so um, to your point, uh, I think just making a, a, that, that buddy in uh, your 12-step community or your sober buddy, for me, was more important than like a sponsor. You know, just I had somebody I could go to and kind of talk real stuff to. Um, and part of it is 21. I didn't know how to talk real stuff. Right. It was it, it was all so new. How do you talk about relationships? How do you talk to girls? Um you know, I didn't know how to tie a tie. You know, there was just so much new stuff that was kind of being thrown at me in kind of that early sobriety. And, um, and you know, how do you go back out with old friends and just drink a Diet Coke or something or have a Coke? And, uh, um, and you know, it's still be a big part of life. It wasn't about hiding in the basement of a church. Um, you know, uh, I think 
that works for a lot of people, but I think for me, um, I needed that, but then I needed to go um, see live music and needed to go out and, and experience life. Um, I'd experienced life. I knew what it would look like and I, I enjoyed it, um, but learned, you know, kind of that skill set. How do you do that sober? Yeah, I think that's really critical. And we're going to move into our next commercial break coming up here soon. But when we come back, I want to hear more of what you would say to somebody who wants to experiment with sobriety, right? Who is, who does want to learn those social skills? Because I think you're absolutely right, right? People drink and do drugs because it does lubricate everything. It does make things easier. Um, but in that, this was true in my experience, it made me worse, right? Like I got, I got kind of the shortcut. I kind of cheated on some of those social skills and then I had to go back and learn them. And because I was insecure, I would end up drinking or, or drugging more. Totally agree. Like, that was uh, uh, my 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 shortcut ended up um, not being a shortcut, but you know uh, I I over missed the mark. You know I just wanted a couple drinks to kind of cut the edge off so I could schmooze folks and talk to girls. And next thing you know, I'm waking up and it's the next day, and you know. Um, and you're on an airplane heading towards. Yes, right. <laughs> Being told to the all the stories that I did once again. Yeah. All right. Cool. So we'll move to our commercial break here. Um, For those listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. And we're on the other side. We're going to hear more about what you might be able to do. Take some real action if you want to. You're sober curious. Um, So hang in there and we'll see you on the other side of the commercials. us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y.teachable.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
Are you ready to move to your next level? Listen for Empowering Women, Transforming Lives with host Rebecca Hall Greider. Each show will focus on a central topic with discussion, guests, and your questions being featured. Our show is perfect for women who feel a call in their heart to step out in a bigger, more powerful way in their life and just need some encouragement, inspiration, and practical steps to support them on their journey. Empowering Women, Transforming Lives can be heard live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel with a replay of the show Sunday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call one 888 Three four six nine one four one. That's one eight 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 three four six nine one four one. Or send an email to podcast at mark azulaycom Now back to from the ashes. Welcome back. In our final segment, we talk directly to listeners. So, Duke, I'm curious if there is somebody, maybe they're a young person, maybe there's someone that's getting sober later in life that wants to party sober. Right. They don't have access to safe right now. What do you recommend that they that they do? How do they take that plunge? Um, it's a great question, right? Because we're kind of this new, unique uh, model. Um, so we would say uh, find some like minded people and uh, contact us. We will help you um, use our nonprofit status if you wanted to host your own like event um, at a music festival or at a concert. Um, we're, you know, we're constantly getting contacted by different venues to see if we can set up a sober support tent for them. Um, the New York Mets contacted us for August 31st, which is international overdose awareness day. So we're going to have a 250 person sober section, sober tailgate at side inside city, um, park in New York city. Um, and we're going to need volunteers for that. Uh, the Dillon Amphitheater up in Dillon, Colorado, um, we're trading emails back and forth with them. They want us to do three events this summer. Um, so we're going to need help uh, um, kind of building that army of volunteers. But, um, you know, there's a lot of different recovery support out there right now. There's a group called the Phoenix. Uh, they do uh, um, sober connection through... Um, working out or uh, like mountain bike rides um, and they're national. Um, so I think you can just Google kind of recovery support in your area um, and see what different stuff comes up. Um, a lot of the larger music. Yeah. I think we yeah. lost Duke for a moment there with some um, technical difficulties, but I will say, you know, for someone that is looking to kind of start, there's a lot of resources out there, but I think the main thing there is, Finding a friend, finding a buddy, hopefully someone that is also sober, but maybe somebody who, you know, um, is interested in being supportive of you and trying to go out and live your life, right? I mean, so I guess it's so obvious. It was so critical to me to realize that recovery doesn't have to look like, you know, kind of what Duke was saying of, you know, living in the basement and just, you know, crying about your past or being in a place where you feel like you're a victim to the world or feeling like you're outcast or that you don't fit in, Um there's so much out there. And a big part of my recovery journey was about choosing life and choosing to live. So something that I did 
um, one of many things was to go back into old past hobbies and figure out, hey, like, what was I into when I was sober, which for me was when I was a kid, you know, uh, what are some things that I enjoyed? Um, for me, it was like nerdy stuff, Dungeons and Dragons, Warhammer, things like that, uh, Marvel Comics, and dig that stuff back out and be like, hey, is there something for me here now? Um, and in some cases, there was some cases, there wasn't, you know, some things, you, you know, you gotta leave behind in childhood. But figuring out ways to just enjoy sober life. You know, one of the biggest things that came through in my therapy when I was going through early recovery was this realization that I didn't know what it was like to be sober. For me, it wasn't alcohol as much. It was more marijuana. I was just high all the time, literally all the time, to the point where that was normal for me, right? The high state of mind was normal for me. And when I was sober, it felt like I was on drugs. And I'll say a little bit more about that. What that meant was, you know, I started having like feelings that I didn't have when I was high, like emotions, right? I started having memories and thinking back about stuff from my past that um, was painful, right? That the meat, that the weed kind of suppressed and kind of uh, put away. I started like, you know, being more aware of my own awkwardness and my own insecurities, which again, I was medicating with, with marijuana and it felt uncomfortable and it felt altered. And that was a very scary moment for me because I was, I really came to realization that I live so much in an altered state that I've forgotten what reality was. And a big part of my work was getting in touch with, with really reality as it was. Um, for me, that started with a mindfulness practice. It started with getting into Buddhism, uh, getting into meditation. Um, you know, I learned from a Zen monk in, uh, in Pittsburgh. That was my first kind of Buddhist teacher. And I love the Zen style because really the whole idea there is just like, you know, shut up and sit down. Um, you know, don't freak out. Don't um, kind of overstimulate yourself. Get used to finding beauty in the mundane. And that was something that I really had to learn. Uh, first by meditating at the, the Allegheny Zen Monastery. Um, then I also get a lot of it out in nature of being able to notice the natural beauty and let the world touch me. Because... When I was using drugs and alcohol, which you know, I imagine some of our listeners are in that place, there was just a bubble around me. Like I wasn't, I wasn't in the reality of my life, uh, for good or for bad, right? I mean, the the good part is I wasn't feeling some of those painful feelings, and the bad part is that I wasn't present. And especially with marijuana, I found that for me, you know, weed. The way I said it to my therapist, and I still believe it, it, it really kept me small. Um, which I know is not the effect for everybody, but for me, it really de did keep me small. And what that meant, you know, practically was that, you know, when I was high, I wouldn't talk to girls. I wouldn't move the relationship of my life forward. I wouldn't, um, you know, pick up the phone if somebody called. I missed appointments or I missed, um, you know, can't showed up late to work. I like wasn't really able to fully function in my life. You know, I, I would eat poorly and gain a bunch of weight, right? And then feel bad about that. It was just this constant cycle of a drug that kept me, kept me insulated, right? Kept me safe. It kept me in like this safe bubble of, you know, smoking weed, eating pizza and playing video games, which is, it's not even a stereotype. That's like literally what I did. Um, and, I, and in those moments, I loved it, but it kept me small and away from basically the rest of my life and from growing. And I don't know. I mean, for me, weed is just, it was so sneaky 
because it felt like it was helping me. It felt like it was healing me. It felt like it was letting me get in touch with my creative side, get in touch with my emotions to really, um, I thought it was like kind of a spiritual vehicle for a while. But when I pulled the the lens back, I was like, whoa, this is really keeping me out of my life. So I do love, you know, what Duke is doing out there with Sober F Entertainment. I love the idea of living a sober life fully with your eyes open. Um, I mentioned it before that a, a big part of sobriety is creating a life that is worth living, right? Choosing life. I think that's also true. Maybe you don't, you know, maybe you don't struggle with substance abuse. I think it's also true with addiction. I think it's also true with um, like addiction to substance use. What I was meant to say was depression, um, anxiety, uh, even trauma, right? Like these mental illnesses keep us away from the life we want to live. So that was a little non sequitur. Uh, Duke is going to be joining us right back in here in a moment. I'm going to let him into the, the podcast right now. Hey, buddy. So you're back. I did like a little monologue while uh, awesome. while we were going. Um, but you were, you were talking a little bit about, you know, how a young person or somebody who wants to experiment sobriety would, would get started. You shared a little bit about, you know, resources to connect with. But I'm also curious about just kind of, so we talked about in the beginning of the podcast, like social skills or how to find a, a friend or how to talk to somebody in a room or feel confident because I was just telling the listeners in my story, that was so much of my issue is I was just like a shy, overweight, shut down kid that had no, had no confidence. And, you know, alcohol and drugs gave me that false sense. Right. So I think it's, you know, what do you love and see if you can do whatever you still love sober. Um, you can kind of blame sober October or I'm taking a month off or, um, I mean, sometimes you need to give yourself that excuse of, of why, um, dude, I'm sorry. My phone overheated. That's why that thing suddenly shut down. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, here's what happens. You're going to eat it right. Every once in a while stuff goes sideways and, um, it's not the end of the world. And I think none of us are perfect. I think this is a generation that really appreciates that, you know, we're all making art at the end of the world is kind of the feeling right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, give yourself that break if you're trying something different. Um, I grew up in an era, we all had to wear IZOTs, right? So that is not this generation, this generation, you can do whatever the fuck you want to do. Um, and you know, it's definitely much more diversified and more accepting in a lot of areas. Um, except for this one, except for like the whole sober thing is not as, um, if you are, uh, you know, kind of trying to walk that, that straight line. So, um, I, I would just recommend trying to figure out what you still really love to do and then see if you can do it without drugs and alcohol and see if you can find a, a buddy to do it with you. Um, is really what we're all trying to, to, to figure out. Yeah. I'm so curious from your sense, right? Like what still makes sobriety so taboo? Cause I just, I had the thought you're so right. Like generation Z, they're so much more accepting and fluid when it comes to identity and gender and, you know, personality and, and creative expression, even fashion, right? Like they are, they're really pushing the boundaries on a lot of stuff, which is wonderful, but sobriety is still not cool. Right. I mean, it's getting there, but it still is like a taboo topic. What do you, what do you think that's about? So uh, you can Google how much money is spent on alcohol advertising globally is 6 billion nationally it's two billion so there's two billion dollars saying party means you know alcohol and there's no money going into uh you know fun means fun um and you can do it sober so 
Um, I do still think it is um, a, a mindset. When you say the word party, people think alcohol, right? Somehow party has captured that word. Um, and you and I know, A, you can have fun sober. Um, and you can still do uh, really 100% of the stuff that I used to do, right? Concerts, music, sports. Um, you know, you're, you're still um, allowed to go out and just do whatever you want and just do it sober, right? And just um, what we've learned is it just kind of helps to have a sober wingman. So how do you find that sober wingman? Um, maybe you have to be it to be able to kind of attract it. Um, and, you know, maybe it's called taking a Tuesday night off, you know, um, or a Friday night off and, um, you know, figure out, is there a sober bowling league or something or, or some type of league you also want to join and see if you can do it without the alcohol and drugs. Great. Well, so as, as we're wrapping up here, can let people know how they might find you online, how they might get involved? Sure. Uh, once again, Mark, thanks for the invite for this. I greatly appreciate it and um, so appreciate your support early on and really proud of you for this amazing um, website and career stuff you got going on. So, but Sober AF Entertainment, our website is SoberAFE.com. And then um, you can find us on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and uh, TikTok at Sober af entertainment um so we're out there um creating a secondary culture at music festivals concerts and sporting events and you are all welcome to join us under this tent um for a sober section so we're able to pull off 2,000 people at a rockies game we had 1500 sober people at an event in miami for the dolphins last um december um so really excited about what's happening in the future there's a great need um for some type of uh community support for people who do want to take a night off so um that's what we're really excited about and um have patience with us we're not quite sure exactly what we're doing yet um but we are making it as fun and as kind of a sacred space to make a sober buddy um as we can great well Thank you so much for being on the show. It's an honor to interview you. Hope that the word gets out through these um, vehicles. If you're listening, uh, please share this with somebody who is you know, new in sobriety or who wants to have sober fun. Uh, give us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps this podcast. Uh, we're starting to build up a fair amount right now. Um, so thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next week on another episode of From the Ashes. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same.